This evening we're looking at Psalm 22 verses 14 through to 18. Last week in our studies in Psalm 22 we saw something of the wickedness of the, the rulers and also the various other people who assembled at the cross and surrounded the Lord Jesus Christ as he was lifted up to die. For example, just looking back at verses 12 and 13 to remind you, look at those two verses. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I hope that by now you would have realised that this psalm, which was written about a thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life for sinners, in obedience to the will of his God, here I go again, I'm I'm emphasising that point, in obedience to the will of the Lord his God, it's a detailed account of those final hours on the cross. And as I said last week, it's worth repeating it now and reminding you, within the words of this psalm, God has given us a window to look through and to see at least something of that most solemn occasion about 2,000 years ago when the Lamb of God was wounded for the transgressions and bruised for the iniquities of all of those who trust in him. It's really a great privilege and we are standing on holy ground when we look at this Psalm 22 that we can see something and we can hear something of those hours, those last hours on the cross of Calvary. Let's look at verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. In the previous two verses, as we've just seen, the Lord Jesus Christ, he described his enemies as strong bulls of Bashan and as ravening and as roaring lions. Now in verse 14, Jesus is describing his own condition. The, the shift, the emphasis has gone from the, the, the rulers and the people who um, were at the cross to himself now. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, you are exhorted to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That is your act of worship, that is your reasonable service. And you can only ever do that if you do so by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. got to be by faith. There's no act of worship on your part that will ever be acceptable to God if it, is, if it is not done through faith in Jesus. And you can only do that if by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ you believe that he died for your sins at the cross that he was the ultimate sacrifice. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God daily. That's our act of worship. But Jesus, he presented his body as a living sacrifice 
at Calvary about 2,000 years ago in a way that only he could do so and in a way that only he was qualified to. No one else was qualified. No one else was good enough. The Lord Jesus Christ was God's appointed sacrifice for sin. And if you're trusting in him, he is your sacrifice for sin. He hung upon that cross, bearing in his own body your sins. Only he could do that because only Jesus is the sinless um, Lamb of God, an acceptable sacrifice to God. And he poured out like water his own precious blood and his life. We see that in verse 14, I am poured out like water. It can speak of Jesus pouring out his blood, pouring out his life on the cross when he laid down his life for sinners. We also read in verse 14, all my bones are out of joint. That is a reference to when the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was stretched out upon the cross as if upon a rack and his joints were dislocated when the cross was raised up and it was rammed into the ground. One of the commentators has said, Now when the Lord was raised up upon the cross and his sacred body hung in the air from the nails, all the joints began to give so that the bones were parted the one from the other. Last of all, in verse 14, we read, My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. None of us could have withstood the intense heat of God's judgment and his wrath. A divine anger which even now is upon you if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, verse 36 the last verse in John chapter 3 says very clearly that the wrath of God abides upon you if you reject the Son of God. For those of you who are trusting in Jesus, he was the propitiation for your sins. In other words, at the cross, Jesus appeased the righteous anger of the Lord his God when the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of your sin. Let's have a look at verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. By saying, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, Jesus was acknowledging his complete physical weakness and he likened himself to a piece of clay, baked in a kiln until the very last drop of moisture had departed. No doubt the Lord was bereft of all moisture as he hung upon the cross and as his body was drained of his precious soul-cleansing blood. Jesus laid down his life at the cross. We're told that very clearly in the Bible, but let's not pretend that Jesus was not weakened by what he went through. Jesus 
when he was taken, when he was led to that cross, he was led to the cross as a man, as well as as God, a man. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 32, it is written, Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. That's when Jesus was making that final journey to the cross, bearing his cross, and then Simon of Cyrene, was compelled to carry that cross. As such, it would seem that even before the first nail was hammered through the body of Jesus, he was in a very weakened state and too weak to carry his cross any further due to the torturous treatment that he had already received at the hands of wicked men. Also in verse 15 it is written, My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, Thirst, dehydration and the agony and the anguish of his soul would no doubt have contributed to the Lord's tongue fastening to his jaws. Last of all, in verse 15 we read, Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. What that means is that Jesus died and he was entombed but what it does not mean is that his body dissolved into the dust of the earth. Thou has brought me into the dust of death. We can see that Jesus, his body was not dissolved into the dust of the earth. We can see that to be the case in Psalm 16 and verse 10, where David said, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou, thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. A thousand years or so after David had died, the Apostle Peter preached to a crowd on the day of Pentecost and he confirmed that those words of David had their fulfilment in Jesus and not in David. This is what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the, his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So what we read, if you, if you looked at it in Psalm 16, verse 10, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou, thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. A thousand years later, on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter confirmed that those words were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God did not leave his soul in hell, neither did he suffer his Holy One, the Lord Jesus, to see corruption. The Apostle Peter then went on to preach to the crowd about the resurrection of Jesus and his exaltation. 
by his God. And then there are other verses in the New Testament that make it very clear that when Jesus laid down his life for sinners, when his God brought him into the dust of death, as we read in verse 15, that his body did not dissolve into dust. For example, in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, he said to them, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Touch me. I have flesh and bones. Likewise, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he challenged Thomas, the apostle, to stick his fingers in to the wounds made by the nails, to stick his hand in his side. So much for all those people who insist that the body of Jesus perished in the grave. People such as the Jehovah's Witness whose founder Charles Taze Russell declared, Jesus is dead, forever dead. They say that the body of Jesus was disposed of by Jehovah God and dissolved into its constituent elements or atoms. That is their official dogma. That is what they would like to believe, that when the Lord brought Jesus into the dust of death, That was the end of the man Christ Jesus. But it's simply not the case. The fact is that Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners and that he was brought by his God into the dust of death but he rose bodily and he rose triumphantly over sin, Satan and death on the third day. And indeed about 30 years after the crucifixion, the Apostle Paul said that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, referring to Jesus as the man, Christ Jesus. I think it is important to emphasise that because there are many people out there who would like to think that when Jesus was entombed, when he was put in the grave, that was very much the end of the man Christ Jesus. But that's not the case. And now Jesus, the great heavenly high priest, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where he ever lives to make intercession for all who are trusting in him. Looking at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Where it is written, they pierced my hands and my feet, there is no reason at all to imagine that those words referred to the psalmist, that they referred to David. Those hands and feet can only be the hands and feet of the Saviour. And that verse corresponds with other verses of scripture such as uh, in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 10, sorry, chapter 12 and verse 10. And in the New Testament, 
John chapter 20, verse 25, all of which point to Jesus being pierced and nailed to the cross at Calvary. For example, as it is written in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 in the Old Testament prophecies, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. They will look upon me whom they pierced in the prophecy of Zechariah. And then in John chapter 20, verse 25, when the apostles were speaking to Thomas, after they'd seen the Saviour, and as I mentioned earlier, this is what they said, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The point there is that it's very clear that Jesus was nailed to a cross. Let's have a look at verse 17. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Being stretched out on a cross, the bones of the Lord Jesus Christ were very noticeable, so much so that they could be counted. As the spectators spewed out their insults and their scorn, their evil eyes dared to stare at the Saviour's tortured body, which was all, in all likelihood, naked. Apparently, as well as being a particularly painful form of execution, crucifixion was also a humiliation quite deliberately a humiliation by making the condemned person as vulnerable as possible. Although artists have traditionally depicted the figure on a cross with a loincloth, the person being crucified was usually stripped naked. The sight of the incarnate Son of God nailed to a cross ought to have brought that crowd flat on their bellies in repentance, on the ground. Instead, wicked hearts were fed via wicked eyes as the sinless Saviour took upon himself the shame and the punishment of all who have trusted in him. As we have been considering the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and and, and almost entirely the, the physical suffering of the man Christ Jesus, when he was nailed to that cross. Has it been for you simply a time of hearing some gory details about the physical suffering of a historical person called Jesus? Is that as far as it goes? Hearing about Jesus, his bones being counted, his bones out of joint, being pierced through, his tongue cleaving to his jaws. Some historical person who lived 2,000 years ago, if indeed it's not fiction, is that as far as it goes? Or else have you appreciated that the one whose bones came out of their joints when his exhausted body was nailed 
to a wooden cross and stretched horizontally and vertically is the same divine person of whom it is written in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10 that in the beginning he has laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of his hands. In other words, long before the Son of God even became flesh and even long before he had hands, that would, hands that would one day be pierced through, we're being told in language that we can see as well as read in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10 that Jesus is the creator God and that the heavens are the work of his hands. We sung it earlier, how great thou art. We were singing about the hands of the God of God. When in the fullness of time, the Son of God finally did become flesh and dwell amongst men, on numerous occasions he reached out with compassion and he even laid a healing hand upon a man who had leprosy and he cleansed him. You've got to understand that leprosy was, a, was, a, was a, a visible sign of sin in the Bible. A mark of God's displeasure. And Jesus laid his hand upon a man with leprosy and he healed him. Even now Jesus is reaching down from heaven and healing wicked and unbelieving people from the most terrible disease of all. I'm not talking about leprosy. It's a disease that afflicts body and soul and renders people unfit for the company of a thrice holy God. It is the disease of sin and it is a disease from which nobody is exempt. In verse 18, it is written, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. The clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ became the possession of those soldiers. Are you picturing this? It gives us an insight into the depravity of man when you consider that the soldiers engaged in gambling for the Saviour's clothes whilst he was right there nailed hand and foot to the cross. Gambling for his clothes. However, the Bible also speaks of spiritual garments that are received from God. For example, in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10, it is written, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. By his life of perfect obedience to the Lord his God, and with, with his sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus has not only washed with his own precious blood all who trust in him for the remission of their sins, he has also clothed them and adorned them with the righteousness of God. What a contrast that is, isn't it? You've got those soldiers at the cross gambling for the clothes that they've taken off the Lord Jesus Christ 
but we also see the righteousness of God being freely received by all or given to all who trust in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, when God sees the Christians, he sees his Son. And we are accepted by God in the beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, he clothes the Christian and makes them presentable and fit to enter into the company of a thrice holy God. I don't know what you make of these verses here in Psalm 22. Very, very solemn verses. We haven't really even touched on the spiritual suffering there. I I can't, in a way. It's beyond my understanding. We can all relate to the physical suffering there. Not that we've been there, but at least this is something that we can... The physical suffering. And you've... It's only when you appreciate, or at least begin to appreciate, who endured that suffering, the shame of being lifted up to die on a a blood-soaked wooden cross, having been mistreated and tortured by wicked men. And he laid down his life for wicked people, such as were at the cross, people we look at, we looked at last week, people like us, before anyone leaves here tonight thinking that we're any better, we are no better at all. In our own peculiar way, we are every bit as depraved as those people here and as anyone else in this world. We all need Jesus, we all need the clothes of righteousness that he alone gives through faith in his death at the cross and that life of perfect obedience a life of obedience that no one in here has even begun to live may each one of you be people who leave here tonight having been humbled by the words that we've been looking at in this psalm brought low brought low before the throne of grace and as Christians may each one of us here be people who keep returning to that throne of grace as we repent of our sins as we seek a closer walk with God a greater understanding and keep on praying that the Lord will make us understand these things I don't think we should ever ever move on from the cross There's never going to be a time when you think, well, I've done that. I've pretty much been through Psalm 22 and the, the cross. It's time to move on to other things. Keep coming back to the cross. And uh, it's there that we see the love of God for wicked people like uh, who were there 2,000 years ago. Wicked people like us. Are you still wearing the filthy rags of your own self-righteousness or are you trusting in Jesus for your acceptance by God? Amen.